So with that. We had some really interesting, I, w- I wish we'd had time for them all, but we had some really interesting comments about, especially about the rending of the veil, um, which, uh, Ryan, I think you could probably see them now. Yes. I mean, you're posing the alter- the alternative, I think, generated a lot of thought. Mm. Yeah. Which, by the way, I really appreciate that um, not starting out with everything has to be harmonious, everything has to be the same in all of the Gospels, uh, just 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 not starting with that so you could have a separate reading and think about it is i i appreciate that just as an as a teacher's approach yeah that was that was fun to think about pedagogical this is a very boring discussion right like <laughs> let's all recite something together yeah we're trying to never do Okay, so we could look at some of those. Um, I also want to share, like, so I've been looking at colonial, um, so I'm writing a book on youth youth voting rights suffrage, and and I've been going back and looking at uh, some of the voting restrictions in colonial America. (laughs) And it's not like I didn't know this, but I hadn't realized or hadn't remembered kind of the extent to which, and I'm thinking about this in the context of kind of our Christian nationalism moment and this, you know, some of the, you know, your, these scriptures really are posing some interesting questions, I think, for our time. Um, Quakers were disenfranchised. Mm. If you're Baptists in some, in some colonies, you couldn't vote. If you were Jewish, if you were Catholic, you actually were specifically excluded from voting rights. So I'm thinking about, um, um, kind of separation of church and state and this tension between um, Christian Christianity and um, and political um, rights and identity um, kind of anew <laughs> and, and really appreciating just um, the importance of kind of the founding period as marking a break between and maybe you know doing some of what Paul was trying to do and saying like we can we don't have to be so like doesn't have to be one way and you can kind of reimagine and kind of God is there for everyone and we're not so exclusive anyway so so that's in the back of my mind as you're kind of posing some of these questions and as I'm um, thinking about my weird juxtaposition of the civic holiday of Golden Days in Fairbanks, Alaska, and Pioneer Day in Utah, mm. um, when we're, the Saints are trying to get away from the United States, but it's become like this hyper. But the Boy Scouts put up the American flag, and everybody scattered yeah. on Pioneer yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, did you, Rebecca, as you were, as you're sort of like doing that research? Um, Whoa! Did do you know? Do you know anything about like some of the contemporary responses to those restrictions? Like, did was there any were there any sort of Christian voices who um, 
uh, were dissident voices in the face of those restrictions, or was there were there debates about it? Was that there... uh, uh, I haven't gotten into the weeds that much, but I mean, I, from from what I've, I mean, from what I'm looking at, um, I mean, you can tell like the colonies that are really, I mean, they seem to be really consciously opposed to that restrictive idea about citizenship that's tied to particular. So, I mean. Pennsylvania, right? uh, but but there are you know, and it's like Massachusetts, like this place that we always we have this mythology that it's about religious freedom. Like those folks were not into religious freedom, you know, right? No, not at all. And and then you have so so within the kind of colonies, you have this real tension as to you know, political identity and how it's tied or not tied to to religion. So I see it as one, I just say one solution to this question is like, you know, Catholics get Maryland. Yeah. yeah. Divide, you divide it up, right? So yeah. like everybody sort of gets their enclave, right? And then, then there's this break where it's like, oh, actually, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Yeah. Right? Now, forge a common identity um that that doesn't that doesn't do it that way but it took you know it took a little while yeah it took a, it took a little while and and that's one way that the founding you know the revolution and is revolutionary and that we're not going to set up some strict kind of narrow christian nationalism nationalist country right you know there's anyway. There's an interesting, to me at least, way that this ties together with the 24th, that for me from Wisconsin, people tried to make the 24th about pioneers and Mormon battalion and things that could be um, lauded, that could be praiseworthy, pioneers entering the valley and all. But it it actually became, for me, a... Um, um, uh, polygamy statehood, um, Utah war, uh, that kind of disenfranchisement of Mormons, and then um, uh, inclusion by way of the manifesto. I mean, that that was the 20, July 24th story, and it was a very troubling story, a very difficult story, but that was the, that was what the 24th became as a are we? Is this something to celebrate, or is this something to to behave or to talk about? I, I mean, it was very complicated in that way. That relates back to your, um, you know, Mormons were disenfranchised to a great extent. You know, you know, a thing just to just to go back. I just want to say one thing about O.E. Mountains High, my favorite hymn, which is that uh, when Charles W. Penrose writes O.E. Mountains High, he's on a mission in Essex. And he had never been to Utah. And so the whole thing, like his, that whole thing is just an imagining. Um, and so he's even farther away than Wisconsin from, from Zion. <laughs> I'd forgotten I, that. I love that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I saw that it was, it was, a, it was like Utah war version was maybe the, the verses. The bended. Yeah. Right, right. Right. And it is, it's like, really like. Our enemies are going down. Yeah, very right? like it's yes, it's about the mountains, you know, and the, the, the whatever. But it's also like, ah, you have crossed the wrong people, right? And we're gonna like step on your neck and like 
Yeah. And well, so, <laughs> so, but talk about identity, right? I mean, like in political science, one of the things we talk a lot about is um, affective polarization, right? That like, that, that our identities can become aligned in such a way that we have a great deal of difficult, that, 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 that we have a great deal of difficulty being able to connect or appreciate or understand um, or even want to spend any time with our enemies. Or, you know, it really creates enemies. It's not just, oh, you have this identity, you have this identity, but it's like, there are my friends and there are my enemies. And of course, like the actions, people can take actions that sort of like make us their enemies, right? But but that is the challenge whenever you start introducing identities. Like they've done experiments where you could just sort of like put you're the orange team and you're the purple team. And now suddenly like people are very angry at the, at the other, the other people in these totally arbitrary kinds of ways. So that is the danger, like identity. I mean, Nathan sort of talks about this, right? Is that like the, the identity, having the identity can really help you feel like you belong. It can be a way that you understand um, the world and yourself and each other. Um, but there is just this, this danger that, once there are identities, there are in-groups and there are out-groups, and that is a really potent and powerful message. And so I think that's what Paul is grappling with, right, is, okay, we, we need an identity, but this ident- but we're, we're dealing with some other identities, and, like, how can I get people to sort of see us as a community together, but also, like, yeah, there's just, like, a lot going on there with identity. Well, and I mean, that makes me really appreciate this, um, this, you know, heart of stone versus the heart of flesh, the kind of giving you a new heart, right? Like that is really, it's really key to, you know, living the Christian life and actually being a disciple of Christ is that you're able to like have Christ. In a heart of flesh, not right. I mean, no, I mean, like, no, you would think like it's our heart of flesh that is the enemy in some sense, but it is, but, but that is, there's a rejection of this idea that the heart of flesh is the enemy, that in fact, the heart of flesh is the important key to being able to have this. But like, wow, it's really hard. Yeah. Right. Our hearts of flesh are, are set against us as well. You know, it's like, anyway. Yeah. No, you have to. I mean, I feel like that's the, I think it's such a good point where it's like, you have to have the kind of heart that's eligible for being pricked. Um, and if, you're, if your heart doesn't have that, then it's hard to, you, it's hard to go through that process. But, but the fact, but, you know, your heart being pricked by um, the joy of the gospel, that is the same heart that can be pricked by the, the scorn of your enemies, right? Or, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. woo, it's an avalanche sword. That is a really hard heart to... As embodied, as embodied, uh, as embodied in the uh, Utah War version about Utah's inside, which I love that it contains that complexity, right? Yeah. No, Taylor Swift is not the first person to put out a new version with the politics change. Who is precedent for that? Well, I mean, one of the dynamics I really appreciate in this whole part of scripture and the way you brought it out, Brian, is that. Um, it does not speak of isolationism. It does not speak of taking your Christian faith and going off to a Zion that is separate from the rest of the world, notwithstanding Zion in the heights of the mountains, but it speaks of being 
in a world that is in a political world, in a dynamic dynamic world where you have enemies, where you have um, sides, where you have tribes or identities that are conflicted, and I mean that that is a hard thing to do. But it speaks to yes, that is really what we're about. That's not leaving it, but being dealing with that complexity. Uh, and and you brought out kind of the the or in the scripture how the ordinance Christ uses the kind of the ritual the ordinance to cause remembering and that kind of ritual being able to pull us out of this like narrow like not seeing right our foolishness. <laughs> well, I. I how often ritual and norms and social practices exist to help us make it through awkward, potentially awkward moments, right? It's like, well, you know, when you're meeting a new person, right? We have a series of like, oh, hello, my name is this. Oh, hello, my name is this. We shake our hands and like, and that the the sort of uh, a ritual can allow us to sort of make it through a a, a period of time where we don't we're being confronted with something new, right? And so thinking about the sacrament as a ritual where, okay, we're in this place where it is awkward to have to deal with all of these people and like, you know, to give us something to sort of do together. It doesn't require all that much like conscious thought. We can kind of just like sit down and break bread together and do the thing. And that, that creates a sense of like walking together, going together on something that then can get us past some of the awkwardness of like, how do I be in a community with people that I don't know how to deal with? Like, I don't know how to deal with the, the various conflicting identities and the various views on what to do with those identities. And, you know, so like, let's just sit down and have an ordinance and we'll remember the atonement. And then maybe after we're done with that, we can pick up and like, listen to everybody's sacrament meeting talks with a with a soft heart yeah yeah speaking of ritual i i was struck in the in peter's voice talking about being baptized in the name of jesus christ and it took me back to think about well when john the baptist was baptizing people in the wilderness was um those were probably not the words that was probably not the term i mean that peter's voice in Acts is probably where the version of a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ was begins. And um, I mean, that's always been a very powerful part of a baptism to me, but that's um, that's a ritual that's being created right there in these in these verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. It's also an interesting departure from Matthew, where sort of like to, from Mark to Matthew to Luke, that sort of like the scene with Jesus and John the Baptist changes each time. And so you sort of like see here again in Luke that he's sort of like, he's like, he really wants you to know that baptism is about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Like that. That, is, that is what defines the community. And in fact, I mean, to we have these arguments about what is Christian and who is Christian, but that baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is really a, a core element of how I define being a Christian, I guess. So, Dr. Davis, how do you think Paul would view Pioneer Day? 
pro oh, that's a positive way or, or negative? That's a great question. I love that question. <laughs> um, well, disclosures is Pioneer Day is my favorite holiday. So uh, I'm somewhat motivated. Um, but I feel like we should have, I feel like we should have each person answer this. If I'm going to answer this, I feel like we should have each person answer it. Will, we, will, will people play this game really fast? I'm curious what other people say because I like that question so much. Um, but my answer is I feel like Paul would say something like, um, Pioneer Day is fine. You can have Pioneer Day. And have I, have I brought up to you the death and resurrection of Jesus recently? (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's sort of like, okay, well, what does Pioneer Day mean to you? Right. And it's sort of like, if it's not directly incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's like, sure, knock yourself out. Right. But if it is, then he's like, well. Have I taught you about the atonement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or another thing you might say is you might be like, you know what Pioneer Day is really about? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think he w- I, I have the same I thought that he would say it's important. You're defining community that way, but think about where that takes you. I, I mean, let's let's be clear about what we are what we are celebrating or what we are defining. Yeah, I like that. So, so what is the order of activities on Pioneer Day for all? Yeah. <laughs> is he going to switch it up? The parade is, I don't, I don't know, eat pie after the sacrament with your community. <laughs> it just, you, you break pie together and say, break pie together. <laughs> and everybody brings their own kind of pie and, um, and they're all the same, but <laughs> they all have the same crest, right? Yeah. I feel like this, I feel like this, we're really, this metaphor is really giving us something now. And it's sort of like, here's the recipe for the crust. Now you fill yeah. up. You fill up with whatever you want. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a, what a, what a wonderful thing. <laughs> So we do need to, when is the pie, when is your pie um, contest? Has it already happened, Ryan? For so, I, so or is it tomorrow? Well, this year I don't actually, my, I'm sort of in the process of moving back to Provo. And so I did not, so it was yesterday and congratulations to, uh, I forget her last name, but it was another Jessica in Spanish Fork who won. And then in Provo, it was Mom's Cherry Pie who won. But I don't know whose mom it is, so these are not salutations. My real question then was, was there cardamom in the cherry pie? Because that's the that's a, that's what I'm now all about. Is my I make cherry pie jam, and this year's innovation was putting cardamom in the cherry pie jam. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, uh, yeah. Was, uh, uh, maybe I can provide some filling for somebody's pre-made crust. <laughs> Some, uh, yeah, so we need to do a little pie gathering tomorrow if it if it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, um, speaking of ordinances, I need to pop off to go to sacrament meeting, but yeah, chat with all of you. Yeah, me too. Um, Jessica, before you go, can I ask? So this has been a really fun conversation. We don't usually share this recording, but I would love to release this as a special pioneer dialogue special. If there was nothing said that would, I think it's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. That's great. Okay.
great. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Ryan. I have so much. So much. Super fun. Okay, I will. Greetings. My name is Rebecca DeSchweinitz, and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit DialogueJournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons. Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.